electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Our breaking news coverage continues now. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We'll have the very latest on where the election stands in just a moment. First, let me show you what's happening in the markets at this hour. A big gain for stocks is what? There's your picture right now. Dow is up by more than 700 points. That is a better than 2.5% gain. S&P is good for 3%. NASDAQ is the outperformer, the standout today, with a gain right now of more than 4%. Let's go to the race for the presidency. Still up for grabs. Crucial votes are still being counted this hour. The electoral vote stands right now. 224 Biden, 213 Trump. Could be days before we have final vote counts for key battleground states, although maybe we're getting a little more clarity on that. In fact, the bottom of our screen right here, NBC News is projecting uh, that Joe Biden wins the state of Maine. Just want to get that news piece in there as we continue to watch for those votes. Even if Biden ekes out an electoral college win, it does remain uncertain if Democrats will retake the Senate as they had hoped to. Bit of an underperformance there, certainly to expectations. Could spell trouble for a Democratic agenda, especially if the vice president ultimately wins the White House. For more on the balance of power in Congress, let's bring in Elon Moy. Elon, what can you tell us? Good morning. Good morning, Scott. Well, right now it is still a toss-up for control of the Senate. Both parties have a narrow but achievable path to victory. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that he is hoping to get some more clarity on key races by the end of the day. I don't know whether I'm going to be the majority leader or the minority leader. As I've told you, I've been both. Majority is better. And, um, but we're, we're awaiting the judgment of the American people. NBC rates the battle between GOP Senator Tom Tillis and Democrat Cal Cunningham as too close to call. Meanwhile, it is too early to tell whether Republican Susan Collins will survive the challenge from Democrat Sarah Gideon. Now, Democrats do believe their best chance of flipping another seat right now is Mark Kelly in Arizona. He is leading against incumbent GOP Senator Martha McSally, but NBC still says that race is too early to call. Now, remember, Democrats need to flip at least three seats on net to take control. Right now, they're bracing for a slim majority in the Senate if they're able to capture it at all. Now, they've also been disappointed in the House, where they were hoping to cement and expand their control of the chamber. Instead, the opposite is happening. They lost Democratic Congressman Colin Peterson, who represents a Trump district in Minnesota, for example, and they failed to flip Republican Ann Wagner's seat in the Missouri suburbs. So, Scott, this all means that the hope for Democrats of pushing through a large legislative agenda is likely to be even more uncertain than it was before. Yeah. Elon, I appreciate that. I don't know why I said good morning. I forgot that I went home for a couple hours, but it's uh, it is noon time. It feels like an endless morning. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt about that. Elon, thank you. We'll check back in with you 
uh, as necessary. Let's throw up the map one more time, if we could, just to put a button on this conversation. Bottom line, still a lot of votes out there to be counted. Pennsylvania officials saying there's still 50 percent of mail ballots to count. The vice president ahead in Michigan and Wisconsin waiting for the ultimate totals there. The president, by the way, leading in Pennsylvania. But as I said, there's still a lot of votes outstanding. And speaking of the vice president, uh, he is in Wilmington, Delaware. He is expected to speak sometime this afternoon. I'm sure we're going to take those comments live as well. But let's move now, talk about the markets. It is a big day. Our investment committee with me, it's a supersized one at that. Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal, Pete Najarian, Kerry Firestones, the CEO of Arias Asset Management. Richard Saperstein is Hightower Treasury Partners CIO, one of Barron's top 100 financial advisors. And Rob Seachin with UBS Private Wealth Management. He is one of Forbes' top 100 financial advisors. So we got the committee. I wanted to have a couple of this nation's top financial advisors as well to give some advice because I think everybody has the same question. What does the ultimate outcome mean for the markets as it tries to place uh, its bets? Rich Saperstein, I, I throw it to you. You know, I don't know how many calls you, you've been fielding since last night or now you've got a big gain in the stock market. We just showed the Dow is now up by 728. What's your advice to people right now? Well, take a deep breath, first of all. And uh, I think the key with the election was uh, the Senate, and that was the fulcrum position. But uh, we have a base case that looks forward into Q3, Q4 of 21, and uh, we're skating to where that puck will be. Specifically, we think there'll be a vaccine in Q1, uh, a fiscal stim in Q1. The vaccine will get distributed in Q2. And both the fiscal stim and the vaccine will have an impact in Q3 and 4, meaning that the U.S. economy in 21 will underperform expectations. And it won't be until 22 that we get back to pre-COVID levels of about 160 in earnings on the S&P. So our game plan remains the same. We're overweight growth versus value. We're overweight U.S. versus non-U.S. stocks. And we have no emerging market exposure right now. We're going to keep it that way. All right. Uh, Joe Terranova, what, what is the market reflecting here today? Is it, is it trying to sniff out a Biden presidency and the Republicans keeping control of, of the Senate? Because there's, there's a lot out there, okay? You've got the, the undecided map. Um, you've got the president flooding the zone with, with all sorts of doubt and fog, um, including a number of tweets this morning following those comments that he made about 2.30 in the morning, uh, this morning, I guess it was. So what do you make of that? What I make of it is that uh, markets are getting a scenario that's a very favorable one for risk assets, the potential for a higher tax consequence for individuals and corporations. The likelihood of that is dramatically lower. The potential for a tighter regulatory environment is dramatically lower. And the potential for the reintroduction of globalization, which would potentially remove some of the tariffs, if not potentially eliminate all of them. So uh, these are three positive conditions that are being uh, placed into the market in addition to the global liquidity that currently exists. And I think the right move for investors is to continue to be invested and do it in a way that expects lower <laughs> yields to continue to dominate uh, the taxable fixed income environment. Kerry, the move that uh, we're looking at it right now on our screen as Joe was talking, plus 471 
in the Nasdaq, a gain of better than 4%. You can weigh in on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it just shows that this um, rally we've had over the last few weeks that was very favorable towards cyclicals and value, that trade was a little premature. And we saw the NASDAQ and the top of the tech uh, valuation group come down, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, w with the belief that there would be a big stimulus uh, package and we would start to see the value stocks move higher. Well, that trade now is reversed. Today you're seeing a big move of technology, the big digital platform companies, the same names that brought us the rally through the first eight months of 2020 have come back roaring because of some of what Joe said, less regulation, tax rates not moving. We're, we still have COVID. We're still in an environment where remote and distance type companies, the COVID plus names, are still going to carry, carry the game for the next two quarters at least maybe three, maybe four. And so that's what you've got to own. And if you were to look at just what's happened in the market recently and why it's reversing today, we've got a little chart. Can we just show it that shows how mid-cap equal weight S&P has trounced the QQQs, meaning the NASDAQ and the S&P since the end of of, um, of September, they've had a big rally in those value names. And that today is what we're seeing a reversal because there was too much pull forward of that trade. People are going back to uh, the playbook of what brought them here. And I, I think we believe that that's the trade that's going to continue through the rest of this year. Yeah. Jim Labenthal, you know, the market probably believes that some sort of stimulus w would happen. If Biden's in the White House, McConnell, the majority leader, as of this moment, Senate's still very much uh, in, the, in the balance, but he has signaled already this morning that he would like to do something. The question is going to be the size of whatever um, plan can, can come forward. But I'm looking at a stock like Caterpillar today, for example, Jim, down 5%. Um, I'm betting if there was a blue wave, Jim, Caterpillar would be up 5%, not down 5 yeah, I, th I think that's fair to say, Scott. And, uh, you know, as Kerry was just saying, Caterpillar is emblematic of this reversal of what we've seen over the past several weeks where cyclicals have led growth. Now, the question is, obviously, whether we get stimulus, how much of it, but where do we go from here in terms of the markets overall and value versus growth? I want to make a very strong point, okay? If you were in Caterpillar because you felt that the next year or two or three were good prospectively for it, today is not a day to throw in the towel. And I, and I want to give you one solid piece of evidence for that. If we went back two weeks ago and I told you, Scott, or you told me that today we would have an undecided election, it would be coming down to the mail-in ballots, which are going to be counted, and the president is putting out what you rightly call fog, I would not tell you, nor would you tell me that today we're going to be up 3% on the S&P 500. That just does not compute. And what it tells you is you should not be trying to trade these events even if you think you know the outcome. What you should be doing is taking a stock like Caterpillar and saying, if I look forward six, nine months from now, hopefully we have a vaccine, but more likely we do have fiscal stimulus and it's infrastructure spending which will benefit Caterpillar. So today is definitely annoying, but doesn't throw me from my thesis on Caterpillar or having a balanced growth and value portfolio. It brings me to, to Pete. And, you know, Pete, 
I was having a conversation in the wee hours of this morning with your brother um, discussing sort of the state of play, if you will, and suggesting that maybe the best bets to make at this point, because there's still so much uncertainty, path looks decent for Biden. The president still has a path to reelection that the best bets are the shortest term ones, the ones where you make a lot of your living on. Yeah. Well, and, and Scott, that that has been basically the case, I think, for this whole year. I mean, we've had this very volatile year. Just last week, let's think about this. The volatility index actually closed above 40, and now today, here we are in the 28s. I mean, that, that just gives you a good example of just how volatile things are, how quickly things can change. And I think the velocity of these moves, Scott, has absolutely caused a lot of this, uh, what, we, what we've been seeing all through 2020, and quite frankly, a little bit of 2019, where it's been a lot of short term. And if you're able to uh, maneuver your way through that, you can do pretty well. I mean, just think about this. Just last week, we had one of the worst weeks in the market in a pretty long time, right? I think it went all the way back to, towards March or something like that. Everybody kept talking Feels about like that. Feels like eons but ago. But that creates those opportunities. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't, doesn't it? it? <laughs> but it just, but it does show you also, Scott, how fast things can change. And I think that's part of what we are seeing in this market today. As a matter of fact, I think the explosiveness that you're seeing right now out of healthcare, out of biotech, I, I know when we, when we concentrate on the NASDAQ and we look at that move, we think tech. It's not just tech. Take a look at what biotech is doing today. Look at the XBI. Look at the IBB. These are up 7% today. Look at the healthcare index itself. A lot of different areas of the marketplace contributing right now to this move to the upside, a pretty extraordinary move to the upside. Housing's done very well. The weakness is, and you pointed it out with Jim when you were talking about industrials, but industrials, they're trading okay, but they're nothing close to what the markets are doing. So they're an underperformer along with the financials that had had both a pretty decent run going into this. So I think it is a great trading environment. It's exactly what I'm looking for. Scott, right now I have the most amount of stocks that I've had all year that right so it gives you a little idea and why is that yeah and why is that scott because you buy when the when there's blood in the streets last week when there's blood in the streets and people are selling that creates the opportunity to buy but you're also using that implied volatility that we talk about all the time rick reader was talking about it a couple weeks ago here when you've got high volatility you can buy those stocks you can sell an out of the money call for maybe double or triple what you normally would be able to do that gives you protection to the, the to the downside it limits a little bit of your upside but you can maneuver your way through that as well so a lot of creative things are coming out of what we are seeing in the markets right now remember you know rob seachin good to have you here uh, as well to sort of sum all this up now again one of our top financial advisors uh, in the country it, there, there was a belief going into the election uh, that no matter who won the winner was the investor because you're going to get stimulus regardless and jay powell the chairman of the federal reserve and company are still highly engaged and aren't going away anytime soon and that therefore would be your best friend and i think i think the fed will still be your friend but the, my, my view is I never completely embraced the blue wave scenario as one that was being uniformly positive for markets. I believe that there, it would create some near-term volatility as investors repositioned at year end. And then moving into next year, it would create a sugar high as we got this massive stimulus. Longer term, it may have created some unintended consequences, which you saw with rates starting to rise. I think we've gotten the most benign 
intermediate term outcome we could expect by having the Republicans likely to retain the Senate. And in that environment, you probably still get a stimulus, but you don't have the same tax and regulatory impulse that would create some volatility in the short run. You know, what we're telling investors is the same thing we told them coming in. Let's wait for clarity. We repositioned a little bit, raised some cash back in August. We still have that cash. We're looking to see what these outcomes are going to be. Like uh, Rich Stafferstein, we're thinking about next year, and arguably into next year, this outcome would be one that's less divisive, but still maintains a system of checks and balances that allows markets to advance with the support of the Fed, with the economic reopening, and with the fact that we're likely going to have a treatment for the virus. So I view this as a very benign outcome, much more benign than the blue wave that Wall Street got so excited about. Let's bring in another voice I know all of you like to hear from. Tom Lee, <clears throat> excuse me, he's the head of research at Fundstrat. Tom, uh, it's good to see you. I hope you were able to get some sleep. I guess we last spoke to each other, I don't know, a handful of hours ago. Market is having a pretty darn good session. Just give me your thoughts about what we're witnessing today. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, today it, it is a rally because a lot of things that you guys talked about, you know, there's been a buyer strike for the last three weeks. Um, so cash now deployed because the level of uncertainties dropped. We know that NASDAQ was a huge underperformer into this. So part of the move is, is really that recovery. I do think that people are rethinking Senate. Staying Republican is better than everyone thought because one, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden get along. And Mitch McConnell does look like he wants to do some sort of stimulus before year end. So now the timing's moved up. That's really good news for cyclical stocks. And interestingly, I, I know the election, we won't know who is going to be in the White House for maybe several weeks, maybe several months. But it does look like the market is saying it's, it believes an outcome is going to come much sooner. And I think one of the things that really is signaling this is the VIX. And I think it's something that you've got your panelists talk about. But it's made a really pronounced move. So I, I think this is a genuine risk-on move. There's been four and a half trillion cash on the sidelines. Retail raised a lot of cash. People were really stressed into this. Now we have less uncertainty. Still uncertainty, but less, and that's why we're rallying. What do you make of what's happening in the NASDAQ today? Uh, that's really interesting to me. Um, I, I, if I had to guess, I think it has a lot to do with its relative underperformance into this election day, plus the potential for capital gains now is off the table. Because if you think about it, if, if we were going to have a blue wave, I don't see how anyone rationally wants to buy FANG and the mega caps before year end, knowing that there's probably going to be a flood of selling to reset the basis. So I, I think that rally is a relief rally that the Senate stayed Republican. I mean, could, could, you, could, you could say, OK, I, I agree with you. So maybe you don't get a massive stimulus plan. So maybe you don't have a huge reflation trade, if you will, which sends cyclical and value stocks higher, like maybe you would have gotten had you had a blue wave. So you still go with what worked to get here, and that was to find the best growth where you could get it, and that remains in these mega cap tech stocks. Oh, yeah, Scott, that's a great point. I mean, when we're getting to the w window where we want to talk about the Santa Claus rally, uh, into year end and historically 
the Santa Claus rally is comprised, it's a general rally in the markets, but it's usually the winners stay winners. So I think people now are going to buy what's done great this year, yep. do that trade into year end. But then into, into 2021, you know, the therapeutics and the economy recovery and getting hopefully, hopefully through wave three, you know, COVID's unpredictable, but getting through wave three would, would be really the tailwind for cyclicals in 2021. Let me let me see the, the box of everybody, if, if I could. I've got so many people today, I don't want to um, just reach out sort of blindly. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have a question for Tom Lee. That's how my brain's a little fried. That's, that's how we're going to work it right now. Carrie, I see you. Raise your hand first. Sorry, Joe. You can go next. Carrie Firestone, you go first, please. So, Tom, uh, first of all, a lot of credit to you for predicting that the market would be higher. I remember back in March we were on and you said that and really good for you. Uh, I, I think we, we felt similarly, but you said it very loudly. Um, do you think that the rally that we've seen in the past month, which is one you've talked about and supported of the cyclicals and value trade, was in fact perhaps somewhat of a pull, pull forward um, based on expectations of stimulus, of a Biden wave, of a blue wave, that you now may have to reverse somewhat over the next couple of months as the growth stocks take precedence and you have to wait until we see further action in 2021 on the uh, stimulus or, or other effects that could be positive for the, uh, the value cyclical trade. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very true point. Uh, a blue wave would have been a lot more stimulative for the value trade, but I don't think it takes this, the wind out of the sail because we have to watch what the 10 years doing. If, the, if interest rates are creeping up because there might be like an MMT element to sort of the new Washington, that would be quite bullish for cyclical stocks. I think that the cyclicals are still going to be super sensitive to therapeutics. And, you know, one story that was missed just with that Oxford study that showed T-cell immunity uh, actually does exist. 100% of the patients studied. So it looks like there is a chance there, there could be some type, type of herd immunity within COVID. I'm not saying it's happening now, um, but that would be quite good for the economy. And I think that the focus now is going to shift away from elections. And I think people are going to try to find the half full narrative around just the economy and helping people. And if we get stimulus, that's just a huge deal. So I think the epicenter stocks still have legs, but, you know, as Scott pointed out, if we're talking about Santa Claus rally, it's going to be tech and defensives and what worked is going to be what people own into year end. I'm just I'm just thinking that as as long as as rates, Tom, continue to move lower. Mm -hmm. Don't forget last night at some point in the evening, if not early morning, you were at 94 basis points mm -hmm. on the 10 year. Mm -hmm. OK, now where yeah. are we? Yep. 77. As long as that remains the environment, you're going to have a hard time pushing people out of those high growth stocks, Tom. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, Santa Claus rally, a 10-year drifting lower, uh, uncertainty is all a formula for people to stick with winners, and, and that's mega cap tech. Um, that is correct. But, you know, we do have two months into year end, and there's a lot of things that could be things that get people excited about Epicenter. So I think you still don't want to give up on them, but they've been, you know, look, we've been wrong because Epicenter doesn't work when COVID is rising and we're in wave three. Yeah, and of, of who knows how many waves. Uh, Joe Terranova, got a question for Tom Lee? Yes, I, I do. Tom, I mentioned at the top of the show 
various fiscal policies that, that might be rolled back, but something that has dominated uh, the landscape for investors over the last four years has been the relationships globally and tariffs and the implementation of tariffs. Looking forward, how do we think about the potential for tariffs to be relaxed or completely removed, removed rather, and what would be uh, the environment for equities if that were to occur? Um, yeah, and, and it is going to be interesting because, as you know, uh, the global trade policy over the last four years has been one of creating quite a lot of uncertainty and anxiety among trade partners, uh, which in turn really hurts capital movement and capital allocation for large businesses. So, it, you know, in the next couple of years, we are going to be coming out of a depression. China's already doing very well. If we talk about the U.S., sort of you know, merging these bridges or improving these bridges, it is quite bullish in terms of a reflation trade that develops. And again, that's maybe not in the investable window now, but you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of good that comes out of either outcome. Farmer Jim. Yeah, um, Tom, listen, I think you know that I've been more or less in line with you on the epicenter uh, trade. I do have a nagging concern, and I just want your opinion. There's no way to know for fact. But let's say we get the vaccine and we find that consumer behavior has changed semi-permanently, and maybe airlines don't come back. Maybe cruise lines, gaming, hotel, et cetera, just doesn't come back anywhere near the where, where it was in 2019. It, it, does that worry you? Uh, yes. I mean, um Jim, the, the reason that it wouldn't work, so let's say we have a scenario where there's a vaccine. A client of mine brought this up yesterday. Unless these industries have cut capacity, then they can't really realize operating leverage. So one thing that's going to be key is any of these industries have demonstrably shown that they either reset the bar on cost or on capacity so that if there is a recovery, we don't need to get back to 100% of where they were for profits to be higher. The good news is in Q3, I think it was over 70% of the GICs for the industry level cyclicals have shown operating leverage. So I think there's been massive cost cutting. And in 2008, consumer discretionary, over 70% of the groups had 10% or less revenues, but all time high in EBIT. So I think, you know, I think the operating leverage is there. Um, and that's one thing that could surprise us in 2021. I know people have talked about earnings not recovering to 2022, but we could have a huge recovery in earnings next year if there is true operating leverage. Tom Lee, good to talk to you. Good to see you again. Glad you got some sleep. Glad you came yeah. back to chat with me. I know we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. You be well. All right. Let's, let's go through some of the moves that you guys have made. I know our, our viewers always want to know, you know, beyond what you say, what you actually do. So let's do that. Pete. You said you actually own more stock now uh, than you have all yeah. year, but you did buy mm -hmm. a lot of calls. I've got, I'm going to yes. run through the list so you don't forget any of them. eBay, Coles, uh, yep. right? That's Coles. Uber, yep. 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 Uh, Flex, Twitter, uh, and Activision. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and the Activision was just yesterday is some unusual option activity that we were seeing in there, Scott, and that one triggered for me because... It made some sense. This is a stock that did pull off of the highs, but actually it's not too terribly up, far off those highs. And I think that there's, there's upside here. 
and there was some huge buying in there. I think eBay, same sort of a story. I like the, I like the storyline behind eBay. So I think when you look through what I was essentially buying there on the call side, yeah, I did add about five or six positions there. I probably sold out of about five or six positions. But when I look at where my stock positions are right now and versus my options, I have about 40-some-odd stock positions and only about less than maybe right around 30 in terms of, of, of this, the option side of things, mostly on the call side. So um, it's always interesting when I see that, you know, I, at the end of the day, I sit and look through it and I, just, I try to make some of the decisions about that. But I think what, it made some sense, Scott, because when you've got that higher implied volatility, and by the way, what you're seeing when you see the ads, those are all this week as we've already watched the volatility index start to get hit harder and harder yesterday and now include today. Some of the ads that I have also today um, that I just added today are going to be in that mix as well when I get the unusual. So there's a lot of different reasons why, as I'm looking through it right now, as I look at the volatility index under 30, I'm going to probably start seeing that shift back over into the option side and getting out of some of those stocks where maybe I either added stocks that are new or added two stocks that had gotten sold off. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. I just want to point out, too, can we yeah. show the major averages again? Uh, because the Dow, and, and, and really across the board, <clears throat> excuse me, you've started to add to the gains uh, that we've seen. Dow is up nearly 800 points, <clears throat> excuse me, right now, uh, just shy of 3%. S&P is better than three, three and a third. NASDAQ's four and a third. Uh, just a remarkable day for technology stocks, for the NASDAQ, a nearly 500-point gain uh, in the NASDAQ. It is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, speaking of Rich Saperstein, you sold and joined the club at this point, you sold Intel. Just couldn't take it anymore, huh? Basically. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of points. Uh, in the last five years, uh, the Russell Growth Index has outperformed the value index by four times. In the last three years, it's been a factor of eight times. So there's clear long-term trends of the adoption of technology and the growth of tech stocks. And what we're seeing now in the post-COVID environment is an acceleration of the adoption of a wide range of technologies. And so one of them, which we have now positioned for uh, in the portfolio that we manage, is the global payment processing world, where we believe one of our themes is that there will be less cash money and more e-money. And so we bought um, Fidel, FIS, GMP, and Visa. So those three companies really create the whole chain of merchant acquirers, payment processors, and credit card backbone. And so that's just one of the theme and uh, one of our themes, many themes, and we exited Intel to further fund that theme. Yeah, to further fund. I, I, I get it. To, to <laughs> maybe, maybe be able to sleep at night, too. Um, all right, Joe, you bought Adobe and you bought Merck. I did. Uh, Adobe is certainly a technology uh, allocation and, and recognition, Scott, that I really was uh, under-allocated towards technology. Uh, you mentioned the move in the 10-year Treasury last evening. That was a move that literally happened in the course of 60 minutes. You and I spoke in the early hours of the morning, and it was uh, very apparent to me that technology was going to be the winner in this environment. Um, specifically for Adobe, 15% uh, revenue grower, div digital media strength. Uh, it's a name that I've been in previously, and it's a name that I think is going to go back above five and a quarter. Oh, what a big day for Adobe. That's nearly 9%.
pushing up 500 bucks. All right, guys, take a deep breath. Let's take a quick break. Up next, the outcome of the election. Uh, not certain, obviously. Hedge funds, though, seizing on various probabilities. That's what they do. We're following the smart money next on The Half. We're back in just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. In the Your Money, Your Vote update at this hour, the U.S. Postal Service says last night it completed a court-ordered sweep of mail processing facilities in roughly a dozen states after it failed to meet an afternoon deadline. In the last few minutes, the judge in the case said the postmaster general will have to answer questions under oath about why the searches were not done on time. Early ratings are in for last night's TV election coverage. Almost 23 million viewers across six networks watched, and that is according to The Wrap. Democrat Sarah McBride, seen here speaking at the 2016 Democratic Convention, was an easy winner in last night's Delaware voting, making her the nation's first openly transgender state senator. Well, the lack of a clear result in the White House may be causing you some stress in the race for the White House, I should say. Ohio State experts say that you should put some energy into reconnecting with family and friends, even if they have differing political views. And they say it's good to remember that feeling helpless is a choice. Reconnecting with family and friends if they have differing political views may be easier said than done. Scott, no back doubt. to you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Sue, thank you. Mm -hmm. well, the results of the election may not be confirmed, but the so-called smart money already hedging the results, as they would normally do. Our Leslie Picker joining us now. Of course, she follows the money for us. As always, what'd you find? Hey, Scott, that's right. That's what they're paid to do, at least. Hedge funds looking to arbitrage the status of vote counts with the ultimate results. And in doing so, there's already this consensus forming around many in the so-called smart money camp that will see a divided government. The market is beginning to price in a Biden victory and a Republican-controlled Senate that's reversing some of the blue wave trade that had been gearing up throughout the last few weeks. Here's what's changing today. Big rally overnight in Treasuries, as you've been talking about today, with yields plummeting as much as 12 basis points from peak to trough. For hedge funds, divided government implies a far smaller stimulus bill than was priced in with a blue wave that could produce less inflation and more Fed action, pushing rates lower. In equities, the lack of a blue wave is reversing several factor rotations, as outlined by J.P. Morgan today, including a move toward growth from value, defensives, from cyclicals, and back toward the U.S., from Asia. I know you were discussing that with Tom Lee as well. And we're seeing a run-up in the broader equity markets, of course. That is helping cause uh, volatility to temper a bit. There was a concern leading up to the election, and we've been talking about it a lot on our air, that we'd see heightened stock swings from potential uncertainty over the results. Today, the VIX is plunging. You can see they're down about 18 percent. An important caveat, though, the end results of this election are far from guaranteed at this point. Hedge funds also don't really appear to 
to be trading today with an exorbitant amount of conviction indicated by somewhat modest levels of leverage. Scott. Leslie, appreciate it. Thank you. That's Leslie Picker. Pete's unusual activity trades are coming up next as we go to break. Let's show you the S&P sector heat map. Big day for stocks. 113 points for the S&P, three and a third percent, led by healthcare, comm services, and tech. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. There's your picture right now. Best three-day gain for stocks since May. Dow pushing 800 points. The S&P better than 100. NASDAQ's almost 500. A better than almost a 4.5% gain for NASDAQ today. Let's talk options now. A lot of action there, as always. Pete tracks it. What are you seeing? All kinds of activity, Scott. As a matter of fact, you talked about it earlier and how fast the market's moving as well, and it is moving really rapidly because all these names are a little bit lower when I first uh, saw the unusual option activity in there than they are right now because it just continues to move to the upside. AMD is the very first one. They're buying the November 87 calls. About 3,000 of those were bought, Scott. They were going for about a dollar and a quarter. Stock at the time was about 80 and a half. So again, I'm looking at the stock as it's starting to move to the upside. And so that's already getting a little bit away from us. Also, NVIDIA. Now that one's actually expiring this Friday. So just be careful about that. But they're coming after November 550s that expire this Friday, and they got 7,000 of those. They paid from $3 up to $6, but the stock was at 541. Now the stock's already quickly approaching 550, so be careful with that one as well. Lastly, I'm going to give you is Win. Now, Win's pretty interesting as well because this is one where it's moving a little bit, not quite as fast, but it's a little bit more time. They're going out to December, the 77 and a half calls there, Scott, but they do go for seven bucks, so implied volatility is still very high across the board in many of these various names. Those are expensive options, but some nice buying there as well, expecting Wynn to maybe make another push to the upside. I appreciate that, as always. Thank you, Pete. Big win last night for Uber and Lyft. Both stocks are soaring today. We'll debate that next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half in two minutes. Big night for Uber and Lyft last night. California voters passing Prop 22, allowing both companies to treat drivers as independent contractors instead of employees. Pete, your long calls of Lyft and Uber, right? 
Yeah, a little bit lucky here, Scott, just because a lot of people have been playing this. We've seen the volatility there for a while now, and we've watched these two stocks moving around. But in both cases, even as recently as yesterday and Monday, or excuse me, Monday, we, we, Monday and Tuesday, we absolutely did have some buying in there that was pretty interesting. They're playing the very short term, and they're playing actually November, which is still short term. It's a two-and-a-half-week trade, but looking for some sort of a move and obviously getting it. Uber was 34 when they were buying the last batch of calls, the 34-and-a-halves. And Lyft was trading around 24 when they were starting to buy some of the upside there as well. So really nice moves out of this uh, really, really fast. I tell you what, I probably will not be in these calls by the end of the day. There's no doubt about that. Uh, okay. Well, quick, uh, but nice gains uh, regardless. Rob Seachin, you know what? Uh, let's go back sort of big picture because we had a number of big names on our network uh, throughout last evening watching the election, trying to figure out where stocks may go from here. And, and I thought one of the most surprising takes of the night came from Guggenheim's Scott Minard. Not exactly a raging bull over the last many months, Rob. Here's what right. he said, though. Let's listen. I've come to understand that uh, given the uh, liquidity that's coming into the market based upon the support of uh, the bond market and uh, you know, other markets by the Federal Reserve, that all this liquidity has to go somewhere. And uh, when you look at uh, valuations on stocks uh, versus um, uh, where we, uh, you know, versus uh, what bond yields are, uh, the valuation makes a lot of sense. You know, Rob, I, I admittedly, I was taken aback last night when, when I, Scott Minard said that because it was so out of, you know, the character. recent view of that, that he has shared. I, I watched it live. I was watching you last night, Scott, and I, I was absolutely <laughs> shocked at the pivot because on the one hand, you had Tom Lee in March, and on the other hand, you had uh, you had Scott, and they really made up your uh, the bookends for the conversation that we were all having. Um, I think the revelation that he had is one that, that we all share. It's about support for the bond market support for making sure uh, things function properly, M markets function property, and liquidity is what has driven this. There's been a lot of other extraneous factors, but the principal arbiter of where we've headed has been liquidity provided by the Federal Reserve and the support that the Fed has, has given markets and low interest rates. I also happen to think that one of the things that's prospectively the greatest risk and probably was more of a greater risk in the blue wave scenario was the fact that rates were going to start to grind higher. Now that we have the possibility of a different outcome, in my mind a more benign outcome, I think it does put a cap on rates and I would echo the sentiments that he made last night that at least in the intermediate term you have to be a little more constructive and I think once we get confirmation of that view, we are standing at the ready to be able to do something that, uh, you know, that is a little more risk oriented within equities. But we need a little more direction and we're going to be patient in, in waiting for that. Yeah, it, it was certainly the most bullish opportunistic that I've heard Scott Minard be in an awfully long time. And it was a good perspective to have as we're wading uh, through, you know, this uh, sort of swampy mess of the election and seeing how it's going to all 
all shake out. Rich Saperstein, real quick to you. I see you raising your hand, then I got to go quick, but go ahead. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, really well-known uh, analysts and forecasters are really come to terms with the fact that we're in a zero interest rate environment and what multiple do you put on stock? So previously where we looked at the market and assessed the multiple on earnings, we have to really adjust our, 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 our framework in purchasing common stocks and owning stocks as a growth vehicle as a result of a zero interest rate environment. All right, we'll take that quick break. We have more trades ahead. As we do go to break, let's take a check of some of the stocks hitting new highs today, including United Health, Humana, Thermo Fisher. We're back in just two minutes. Time for the futures outlook. Stocks rallying as investors await the outcome of the election. For more on what the futures market is seeing, let's bring in Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial. What's the trade on a day where you've got a triple-digit gain for the S&P? Well, Judge, nice to see you. I think the last time I saw you was about 3 a.m. But on a day like this, when you have so much momentum, let's think about where we've come from. Last Friday, we were in the 3,200. And this S&P 500 futures market has been range-bound. So here we are 8% higher in just three trading sessions. So short-term... I want to be a seller here. I think bigger picture, if we do get some fiscal stimulus optimism, if we do get a vaccine optimism, the market is going to go higher and take out those highs. But the air is very thin above 3,500. So I want to be a seller at 3,500, looking for a pop back down to 3,450. Being mindful of the trajectory of this market, I have a stop at 3,525. I'm risking 1,250, Scott, to make 2,500 on this opportunity. Good stuff. Jeff Kilberg, busy day. Got to run. I'll see you soon. You're the best. Final trades right after this break. All right, we'll do final trades in just a second, though. Carrie, you do have some risk additions to your portfolio. Tell us. So we bought some more PayPal and we bought Baba. Those are names we own already. PayPal came down at the quarter. I think it was misunderstood. It's still on a long trajectory of increasing in, you know, cashless payment. Venmo growing fantastically, 28% transaction volume. We thought it was attractive. BABA came down because the Chinese government pulled the Ant Financial IPO, $34 billion IPO, $150 billion company, biggest payment processor in China. It will happen eventually. BABA owns 33% of it, so we thought it was attractive. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was a big day and a big move uh, for that stock. Uh, all right, let's do final trades. Rich Saperstein, you have the honors. HomeBuddies need bandwidth and content and Verizon provides it for them. Verizon has a 10% free cash flow yield, a 4% dividend. They like the stock. All right, gotta be a little quick. Rob Seach and go. XLK, I think with these interest rates staying low, discounting those earnings at low rates, uh, it's gonna continue to do well. Tech's gonna do well. Joe Terranova. Guidewire Software Technology. Pharma Jim. Uh, General Motors reports earnings tomorrow. Sales are back to pre-pandemic levels almost. Dr. J. <laughs> Financial oh, I mean, services, Pete, serve, And it's Pete, by the way. It's okay. I'm it's sorry. All good. <laughs> You're the man. Kerry, <laughs> <laughs> quick name. Apple. All right. I don't even know if I got everybody, but, but we're good. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.